for the last handful of weeks in the book of Matthew. We come this morning to Matthew 4, uh, verses 18 to 25. Matthew 4, verse, verses 18 to 25. Uh, we have seen Jesus' temptation, uh, and he has begun his earthly ministry, and now we will see him call his first disciples to himself. Matthew 4, verses 18 through 25. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James and John, excuse me, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat with Zebedee, his father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their, follower, and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. People will follow many and various men. When you think some of these names may be familiar to you, I remember growing up and hearing of David Koresh and the Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas, and these people followed him. He proclaimed to be the coming of Christ, and yet we see he fell. Or you think of Marshall Applewhite and the Heaven's Gate and the mass suicide in California, or even Charles Manson and others. People will follow many different men. All these men sought to lead people. However, we see they're all empty. They sought to make themselves above God. They sought to make themselves God. And yet, as we see Jesus here, he comes as the Son of God to glorify God. And in doing this, he draws disciples to himself. We see here that Jesus is calling his first disciples. Many would come and follow him, but he knew their hearts. And so he calls a handful to himself. As we come and look at this text, I want us to see three points. First, we will see the nature of Jesus' ministry. Second, we will look at Jesus and the crowds. And then finally, I want us to see Jesus and the first apostles. So let's begin by looking at the nature of Jesus' ministry. As we look at Jesus' ministry, we see who and where he came to minister to. He came and he ministered in a very particular way. And there is nothing that Jesus did that was by chance. There was nothing that was random luck of the draw. We are to learn from Jesus as he goes and ministers. We see here that Jesus was in Galilee. 23 says that he went throughout all of Galilee. 
Galilee is a place where you would not have found the elite. You would not have found a spiritual giants, as it were, there. Galilee is where you would have found the poor, the low among Jewish society. This is the outsiders of the world, together with Gentiles who were considered lower than the lowest Jew. And yet this is where Jesus goes and he teaches in their synagogues. He comes and he heals. Jesus comes among the poor and the lowly, the outsiders, the Gentiles. And he comes and this is where he ministers. This is where he spends his time. He doesn't go into the heart of Jerusalem. He doesn't go to the heart of the temple. He goes to the fringes. He heals sickness. We see this throughout the book of Matthew, throughout the Gospels, that he'll perform many miracles of healing. We see here he healed all kinds of sickness. Verse 24, various diseases, pains, Demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics. As they came, he healed them all. But he also taught. He went to the synagogues. He went to the places of of teaching. And he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. He came to fulfill not just the physical needs of the people, which he certainly did, but he came to fulfill the spiritual needs. Of the people of the poor. I think it's important as we see where Jesus ministered to. What is the nature of Jesus' ministry. That we take a second to see where he did not minister to. If he was to come king of the Jews. If he was to come and minister. Would he not go to the center of Jewish life? Would he not go to the city? Were the wealthy, were the elite, were the Pharisees, were the Sadducees, were the leaders of the Jewish community were. No, Jesus comes to the poor. And in doing this, he models a specific form of ministry for us. What are we to be as a church? As a church who seeks to minister as Christ ministers. Are we to target those who we think will bring money into the church? Are we to target those who we think would make good and holy people? Are we to go after those who we think we would like? Who we think maybe are popular or wanted? Or to follow Jesus? Are we to go after the poor, the sick, and the needy? Jesus models for us in his ministry that we are to go to those who are in need. We are to go to those who are spiritually and physically poor. And this is the nature of Jesus' ministry, isn't it? Jesus says, I came for the sick. I did not come for the well. Now, in saying that, he is not saying that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are well. They think they're well. They think They have it all together. But Jesus says, I came for the sick. Those who know they don't have it all together. To 
follow Jesus. This is what we are to do, to go to those in need, knowing that we are in need. We're to go to those who are spiritually poor, knowing that we were once spiritually poor. Timothy Keller, in his book Mercy or Ministries of Mercy, gives these statistics about the poor in America. One-third of the poor in America are children. One-third are working poor. One-sixth are elderly or disabled. And one-sixth are the controversial poor, the welfare mothers and the able-bodied poor. But his point in all of this is that the poor are all around us. We do not have to go far to find the poor amongst us. How will we respond to this? Knowing that this is how Jesus chose to minister. He did not put himself in the forefront, in the limelight. But he went to the fringes. To those who were in need of him. This is the nature of Jesus' ministry. So we see him as he comes to the crowds And I want us to look at this first. I know this is in reverse order from the text. I know he calls his first apostles first. But first I want us to look here in verse 23 as he goes to the crowds. I want you to imagine a time before hospitals, before really the advent of medicine. And you have a man coming in who is healing all manner of diseases. To have pain, to have A disease was to be a very debilitating thing. It meant in many cases that you could not work. It took out your livelihood. And so he comes into this area, and naturally the crowds grew quickly. Jesus is not, as we said, in Jerusalem. But in verse 25, it tells us that great... Crowds followed him from Galilee. They came from the Decapolis. They came from even Jerusalem and Judea. And from beyond the Jordan, from all over, crowds came. They were responding to this man who was healing. Jesus' healing was a mark of his authority. Jesus' miracles were a mark of his authority. I I remember once, and I'm... I'm stealing this, uh, this, this, whatever uh, application story, whatever you want to call it, uh, of a pastor talking about how he was. I think he, was, I think he was actually out at uh, Talladega, and he was going down, and he had, I guess it was called a hot pass, right? And so it get, gets you in anywhere. It's a badge, or it's a backstage pass, in essence, that gets you everywhere. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's coming in, saying, "This is my badge." This is a mark of the authority that I have. That I come and heal. That I have power over creation. Jesus is showing them who he is. However, the crowds are drawn. That does not mean they come longing to know this man. They come longing to have something done for them. They were there to get, many of them were there to get something for themselves. But when things became risky, they left. They would go on. We will see this as we go through the book of Matthew. 
But Jesus' ministry, his calling card, his badge, his proclamation of who he was, was so effective that people came from all over. Even the religious leaders, which we will later see as Jesus interacts with them. But I think we have to ask ourselves the question, why do we come to Jesus? Why do we come here on Sundays? Do we come to get something? Are we coming here just so we can get something from him? So that he can bring us physical wealth. This is what the health and wealth gospel preaches, which is so prevalent today. All God wants you to do or do for you is to give you good things. And all you have to do is have enough faith. And this is an empty gospel. This is a false gospel. Why do you come to Jesus? We are to come to Jesus in a true way. Not just for what he can give us. Knowing that as we come, there will be suffering. There will be persecution. But we are to come to the king of the universe. The king who has healing hands. To sit at his feet and to learn. This is what it means to come to Jesus. Why do you come? To Jesus. I think for each of us, this is a question that will have mixed answers. I think we all who are here who, who proclaim the name of Jesus, we all come in right ways and yet we all come in wrong ways. And we're continually in this battle. The old nature, the new nature. As true disciples of Christ, we are to continue to come with empty hands, knowing that He is the only good giver of all things, to sit at His feet, to learn from Him. In the midst of all this, Jesus is calling true disciples to Himself. And this is our third point. Jesus and the first apostles. Jesus was a traveling teacher. This is not something that was uncommon for the day. Today, uh, if we're going to go to be, if I'm going to be a pastor, I go to seminary. I go to where the seminary is. Uh, I find the teachers and uh, they teach me. But this was not so in, in that time. In this day, school would come to you. Men would travel around and they would, uh, call, students would come and, and seek teaching from them. However, Jesus did not wait for his students to pick him. He went out and sought them. He would call 12 disciples. We know the or 12 apostles. And we are all well aware of this. He called 12 who would be witness to all that he said, to all that he did. But we see here that he begins with two sets of brothers. First with Simon Peter, who is Peter, and Andrew, and second James and John who were also called in other places the Sons of Thunder, which was also a failed seminary cover band name. It's a joke. It really was, though. (laughs) Um, That fell flat. Oh, well. Uh, James and John. Uh, The call here is very abrupt as we see it. 
Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers. He asked them to come, and, he, and they came. Uh, second, he's going by these other two brothers, James and John, with their father. He asked them to come, and they came. But if we look through the other Gospels, it's not so abrupt. It's not so uh, quickly uh, that this happens. They are, have a familiar, familiarity with Jesus. And we can see this in the other Gospels. There are several reasons immediately why we see this. Uh, we know, first off, that John the Baptist had been proclaiming in this same area of one who was coming. We know that from John 1, 35 to 42, that particularly of James and John, that he said, there is that man you should follow after him. Uh, John 1, verse 42, or 41. Yeah, forty-one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He was first found with his brother Simon and said to him, "We have found the Messiah." He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So, excuse me, it was Simon Peter uh, and and John there. Excuse me, Andrew. And so we see that there's prior experience, but also we see in Luke, and I actually want to spend some time to look at this, in Luke 5, 1 through 11, I'm going to read this account as, as Jesus calls his first disciples here, and we see that there's much more going on here. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the, the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. We see some interesting things here, don't we? That Peter and these, the three of them, they were fishermen. They were good fishermen. This was their livelihood. And Jesus comes, a carpenter, who knew nothing about fishing, to give them advice on what they should do in fishing. They had been out all night. They had toiled. They hadn't caught anything. And Jesus commands them to cast down his net. Even, even in Peter's first response we see that he has a familiarity with Jesus' authority. He calls him master. He says, master, we have toiled all night, and we have 
We have found nothing. We have took nothing. But he also expresses faith. But at your word, I will put these nets, nets down. In, in obedience, he lowers the net, and he gets a great catch. Now, to be a fisherman, this means you fished. I'm sure he fished all his life. And you can imagine, if you've done something all your life, to be astonished by something, it had to be very, very great. The men were all astonished. They had never seen so much fish in one catch. Peter's immediate response is to flee. To flee from the sight of God. He's saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter knows that he is an unholy man. And he knows that he is in the presence of holiness. And yet, even so, Jesus commands him, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You are a fisher man, but now I will make you a fisher of men. These men had witnessed, they had borne testimony to the fact that Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. He came to bless them. He has come to make disciples and to send them out. The church, particularly the church in America, tends to be a very visible thing. We could easily wait for people to come to us. However, we are commanded to go out. We are commanded to be fishers of men. If you wait on a dock for a fish to jump into your lap, you will not soon catch something. We are commanded to go out. But also in Jesus' calling, as he calls these disciples to leave all that they have and follow him, he communicates to them in a language that they can understand. Fish. <laughs> he shows them something that would astound them. Jesus, as he calls us, lovingly communicates to us in a way that we can understand. Maybe in a time of sorrow, he gives us calm. Maybe when we're down, he sends a friend with a thoughtful word or deed. I think this is something that we all have experienced at different times. That Jesus, as he communicates with us, as he calls and talks to us, he doesn't do it in a way we don't understand. He does it in a way that we understand. You know, we are coming on next week, next Sunday. I will be, have been here a year. It's been a year. Can you imagine that? And it's been a crazy year, but God, through the course of this year, as I have been down, has sent you to me as an encouragement. He has sent to me a wife to be encouragement to me. He, is a, he equips us for the task that is at hand. God does not communicate to us in a way that we cannot identify with. He loves us. He calls us. He assures us of his love and care. And as he does this, he then sends us out. He, he called them, Peter and James and Andrew and John, to be apostles, 
to be fishers of men, and he calls us to the same. We, we are not to be apostles, but we are to be disciples. We are to be fishers of men. The reality is that to respond to Jesus is an act of faith. The decision to follow is an act of faith. If we were to just consider Matthew here, we could in some ways say it was a blind faith, but it wasn't a blind faith. It was an informed faith. They knew who Jesus was. They had seen the teaching of John the Baptist. They had seen John point to Jesus. They had seen Jesus command the fish of the sea. Once they understood the call, they did not hesitate to follow. And this is something that we must all understand, that when Jesus calls you, you cannot hesitate. You must never delay. They put down their nets, and immediately they left. They left their boats, they left their fathers. I think it's worth noting if you were to look at Mark 1, uh, you see that the, his father had servants with him. He did, they did not leave their father helpless. He, he had servants. It was a, probably a very profitable organization. But they left their nets and they left their father. And they went about the ministry of the kingdom. This kind of departure was necessary for them. They needed to see, they needed to witness everything that Jesus did. Later they would proclaim it to the church. This is what we have. It is the foundation of the New Testament. It is the foundation of the church that these men left what they were doing and they followed after Jesus. When Jesus calls us, we must never delay. We are called to make the same sort of departure. We may not leave everything that we have, but we make a definite break from our former way of life we change our definition of that which is good we find joy in new things that we didn't find joy in before as we see this text there's three things at the very least that i want us to see about what it means for us to be called as disciples of god first when he calls, we must respond and not delay. We cannot put off till another day. We are to respond immediately. He is the God who commands all creation. He can make a wealth of fish come when there is no fish to be had. We are to respond to this. And when he calls, we are to break with our old way of life. We cannot continue to live as if we have not been called. We must every day put sin to death in our life. We are to leave all things that are not from God and turn to God. We are to turn to Him in holiness of life. But not only this, we are to become disciples Yes, but we are also to be disciple makers. We are to be workers in his kingdom. The command to be fisher of men was not just for the apostles. It was not just for the disciples of his day. The command to be fishers of men is the command for us as well. 
We are to go and tell the world that which we have seen and that which we have heard. We did not witness the way the apostles witnessed, but we all have a testimony of God's working in and through us. We are to respond in obedience to the king of the universe, to this Jesus who came to proclaim this kingdom. We are to call him master, even as Peter calls him master, and we are to obey him accordingly. One of the things I think all pastors love to hear from those in their congregation is this. Is there anything I can do? If there's anything I can do, just let me know. It all comes down to how we are serving God in his kingdom. Will we serve him on our own agenda, on our own time? Or will we come in humble submission, serving in any way that is needed? I think one of the strengths of this church is the willingness to serve. We had many men here yesterday working to keep up this church. We have various of you are on committees. We have people who volunteer in our nursery, in the kitchens, in all aspects of the church with teaching. But I think we all must be continually asking us this question. How can I do more for the kingdom of God? How can I do more for the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is not just within these walls. The question is this, how are you being Christ's representative in your neighborhood? How are you being Christ's representative in your community, in your city, with the people you come across every day? How are you showing the love of Christ to all those you come in contact with? If you're going to catch fish, you can't just throw a line out every now and again. You have to constantly have your nets in the water, your lines in the water. You have to keep on checking, are the fish here? Are the fish here? We are called to this kind of work. We're not allowed to be disciples. We're not allowed to be members of the kingdom of God. Just certain days of the week. We are called to be Christ's representatives every day. I think it's interesting that as we look at this text, we can really see the scope of Jesus' work. Matthew tells us that he went through all of Galilee. He healed all kinds of diseases. He ministered in all kinds of settings. And the result is that all kinds of people came to him. We are to model Jesus in this. We are to not limit ourselves in the scope of our ministry We are not just to go to the people that we think are desirable, but we are to go to the poor, to the sick, to the needy. This is what it means to serve in the kingdom of God. I remember growing up, my mom, she always, I don't know if y'all have ever heard of Salty, but we always had Salty's, the singing songbook. I remember there was a song, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, 
you have to be a servant of all. And isn't that true, that if you're going to be great in the kingdom of God, then you must serve. And isn't this backwards to us? To be great, you have to be a servant. We've seen the nature of Jesus' ministry. We've seen how Jesus interacts with the crowds, how he proclaims himself. We've seen him call his first disciples. Jesus came, he healed, he taught to the lowly of the earth. He came and called disciples to himself. Brothers and sisters, will you follow him in his example? Will you take up your cross, follow after him? Will you be fishers of men in all of life, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year? Will you live after the one who has bought you and called you, who has sought after you with such a a pursuing love? This is what we're called to, to be fishers of men. Let's pray. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of your word, that we can look at it and see a model for what ministry is to be, that you have called us and sought us at such a great price. May we never forget it. May we never pursue half-heartedly, but may we always be engaged in disciple-making. May we daily be fishers of men, we pray in Jesus' most holy name. Amen.